In this episode of The Interface, I speak with Bill Callahan, General Manager of Times Microwave Systems in Wallingford, Connecticut. Bill has been with Amphenol since 2014, first as the General Manager of Amphenol Borish Technologies, before moving to Times Microwave Systems a few years ago. We talk about his work history and how his well-rounded experience with many facets of the business fueled his desire to be a general manager. We talk about the growth of Times Microwave Systems in the short period of time he's been there and how other Amphenol divisions helped pave the way. And I ask the hard-hitting questions of what's his favorite album, his favorite movie, and his favorite book. This is The Interface. So I, I thought about this question. When you were a little kid, did you ever think that you'd be general manager of an electronics company? No, no. <laughs> and, 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 and even fast forward even to maybe more modern history, right? Yeah. Like I, my former company was uh, Smith's Yeah. and I was a young manager in my twenties there. And uh, Smith's actually owned Times Microwave System at the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Peter Page was the president and general manager. He, he was like a big deal yeah. in Smith's. And to, to think that, you know, fast forward, you know, 12, 15 years, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in that position is, yeah. is, is beyond my wildest dreams. What I, did you want to do yeah. growing up? You know, I, I, I think, you know, maybe like most people, you, you didn't exactly know. I knew yeah. that I was... Um, you know, I knew I was good at math in school and I, and I liked science. And even when it came time to, uh, to, to figure out where I wanted to go to college, I was like, well, I'll, I'll be an engineer. And, um, it seems suited to what I'm good at and still don't know what I want to do professionally, but you know, what my parents impressed upon me and what I believed was like, if I can get through an engineering program, like there'll be a lot of avenues open to me. That, so that's a good point. Um, yeah. So it was kind of like, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what that putt on the green is going to look like, but I hit the drive and, you know, it becomes, and then I hit, I hit an iron shot in and things came into focus and, and here I am, uh, as you said, general manager of an electronics manufacturing company. Yeah. Uh, well, a good analogy with the golf, I guess. Yeah. I think I'm trying to think when I was a kid, I, I probably wanted to be Maverick from Top Gun or something like that, you know, at, at 14 or yeah. 15, you know. Something like, so I did make it into the Navy, but not as a pilot. It was as a journalist. So same thing. Close enough. Yeah. That's a close well, you're second. Too tall. You're too tall, Chris. You're too tall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you got into engineering then. Where did you go to college? Uh, Rensselaer Polytech in upstate New York. Ah, okay. Yes. Troy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Troy, New York. Yep. Yeah. Just outside Albany. Yes. Just across the river. So what? So you went there just to again. Your parents impressed upon you the fact that, look, engineering. Even if you're not exactly sure what you want to do, there's nothing wrong with having that as a as a good foundation for whatever you may want to do after that. And you're going to get a good education, certainly at RPI, um, right? And then you can branch out to wherever you want to go from there. Is that in essence what happened? Yeah, I know exactly, and. Um you know, it was, it was a little bit of blasphemy because I'm from Worcester, Mass. So, you know, it should have been probably Worcester Polytech Institute, but, um, or Holy Cross or something. Yeah. Holy Cross or Clark. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, no, uh, RPI came through with a a nice scholarship and, um, you know, it worked out well, actually, I think getting out of Worcester away from home, not too far, you know, a, a car drive if needed, but, um, no, I actually loved RPI, um, Troy, 
you know, I, I think is actually an underrated college town. Um, it's, um, you know, you, you felt it, it, it's, it, you're not overwhelmed in a city like that. Like if it was right. New York or Boston or something like that. And yeah. And, and RPI is kind of a big deal in that city. So yeah. it's, um, no, it was, it was a great couple of years and, um, you know, the, the, the friends, you know, my lasting friendships all, all came from that time in my life. So it was, it was great. What was your progress then after college? Did you go into Smith's right away or is there a transition period first? Yeah, I, I worked for a couple of other companies prior to that. Um, you know, I, I realized that um, design engineering wasn't my strength, but I, I definitely had, um, you know, an affinity for manufacturing. So, you know, I actually started out as a quality engineer and, mm. you know, moved into some type of process engineering roles and then actually joined Smith's like in the early 2000s as quality manager. And <clears throat> I think I think that was a good role at the time because, you know, being in quality, it gives you... Um, it gives you some exposure to all the different functions in the business right, right. and allows you to kind of figure out like what interests you, what you have a passion in. And you, like you said, you get kind of a broad perspective of the business. And, um, you know, fortunately I, I had a great mentor there, a, a gentleman named Cesar Berardinelli, and um, he really took me under his wing and, you know, he brought me more into the operations side. So, you know, I, in the end I held several different senior management positions there with, supply chain operations, uh, sales and business development, mm -hmm. and um, even got involved with some mergers and acquisitions, like integrating new companies into Smiths and things like that. What were the areas, as you say, you, you went through all these different areas as part of the business, which were the ones that piqued your interest the most? You know, I, I have to say probably operations. It's, mm. um, I, I think it's the the highest level of accountability because there's Fair. really nowhere to hide, right? Yeah, like sales, yeah. yeah, sales. It's like you could probably coast for a little bit before people maybe figure out you're not good at sales. But you know, <laughs> if you um, if you don't ship something on time, if you shipped it and it's got bad quality, or um, I don't know, now your inventory is too high, yeah. or you know something or else, and you've got you know you've got a team of people you know, from uh, people working on the line all the way up that you, you feel very responsible for. And I remember when I, when I had, when I had my job, my first job as a director of operations and it was um, in, in a factory in Kansas city, like that, you know, that sense of responsibility for the people really, you know, I, I felt that very much. And I, I'd say like that role uh, is the one that probably prepared me most to be a general manager of a business. First of all, sales directors around Amphenol are probably cringing that you said that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, we joke, we joke. But you actually started to answer the next question I was going to have is then in your mind, I guess, when did you make that transition to going, hey, you know what, I, I, I can see potentially, I, I'm really interested in running a business now. I mean, I've touched all these different areas, uh, operations, quality, uh, supply chain. Um, you know, I, I'm intrigued now about the, the possibility of, of running the show. You know, I would say that that, that ambition hit me probably somewhere in my mid twenties. And, and from there, I, I, I started to kind of chart a path like, okay, let's, let's do a tour of duty and supply chain doing a, a tour of duty and sales and business development to get that experience as well. And then, you know, more of a director of operations. And then even, you know, like I said, uh, you know, some staff position at, at more of kind of a corporate level as well. Mm -hmm. 
And so I really, you know, that gave me a pretty well-rounded perspective. And, you know, it's like, you know, enough in, in each area to be dangerous. You're, you're not a complete specialist in everything, but I, I think hence the title general manager, you're, you're a generalist. Right. Yeah. Um, a good friend of both yours and mine, who's also a general manager, said uh, recently in another call we were on that, you know, in order to be a general manager, you really have to be an incredibly curious person. Uh, you have to yeah. really want to know the intricacies of all these things. You don't need to be an expert necessarily, but you need to be very curious as to how operations works and and how the the supply chain side of it works and how quality works and and rely on good people in order to you know be successful. Then and you just try to set them up as much for success as you can. So yeah, who in addition to I think the previous person you had mentioned um, as far as being a general manager was concerned then eventually uh, in, in Amphenol. We'll get to that in a second. Were there any other mm. people that you looked at as mentors um, from a from a GM or running a business perspective? You do work for a lot of talented people as you progress. And I, I, I don't want to, I, I could start listing everybody here yeah. and I'll probably miss somebody and offend somebody. But I mean, certainly coming into Amphenol, um, I've had the benefit of, you know, working for two exceptional, I'd say, group GMs and first Gary Anderson and then now Luke Walter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd also say, I mean, the, the benefit of Amphenol as well is you, you get such direct exposure to the senior leadership of Amphenol. So I'm mean, Adam yep. Norwood is CEO of an $8 billion company. You know, he knows everybody. And, yeah. you know, each, as you know, each year, um, every general manager has to get up and present their budget and have a mm -hmm. credible plan and, you know, in front of the CEO and the CFO. So I think that is um, certainly uh, a learning experience the first few times going through that process. You came to Amphenol then. Um, what was the year? Because you first started Amphenol Borish Technologies in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. What year was that? Yeah. So, so that was 2014. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. yeah. So a little bit of the backstory is, you know, throw, you know, we're, we're in the same industry. I mean, Smith's is a competitor to Amphenol. So you, you know, throughout the years, either a headhunter calls you or, or, you know, folks from Amphenol had reached out to me directly, um, on occasion, uh, Klaus Doer at, at corporate and Mimi Morgan, who was uh, I think group HR director on working for Gary. And there was the first few times I reached out, there wasn't an obvious fit. And then they reached out to me about this opportunity in it's to be a general manager. And, um, you know, a quick story is I said, well, I was actually living in Kansas city at the time, but I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be home visiting my family in Massachusetts over Thanksgiving holiday. Mm -hmm. Uh, how about I, I come and have a conversation the following week. And, um, you know, that following Monday, I came down, I met with, uh, you know, Jerome Monteith, uh, David Silverman, mm -hmm. um, Gary Anderson, Mimi, and it was just, like I went in with very lukewarm expectations. And when I, when I really learned about the culture of Amphenol and what the role of general manager is, it's, it's, it's the title is a bit understated. I mean, you, you are president of a company yeah. and it's, it's full P and L accountability. It's not like, well, I, I run this business, but I, I don't really have HR or I don't have finance under me. It's like everything rolls up to you. The buck stops with you. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's, it's high accountability, no doubt, 
but given the latitude to run your business, um, you know, I, I don't, I don't shrink from the high expectations. And I felt like it was just like a perfect match for my personality. And, uh, I, I walked away from those interviews like, wow, this is, this is exactly what I want. And then you go to Borsch in Grand Rapids. Yeah. 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 And that was, that was fun. Yeah. Um, you know, again, you, you never, you know, growing up in Worcester, Mass, if someone says like, you're going to live in Kansas City or you're going to live in Grand Rapids, <laughs> Michigan, I mean, they, they don't, they don't, don't rise to the top of the list of where you would say, yeah. hey, where I want to live. Not but exactly I, San I Diego you, like, or Miami or, yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I have to say, I mean, my wife and I loved, I mean, both cities, Kansas City uh, and Grand Rapids. I mean, our first experience at Grand Rapids was, was less than ideal. We they were flying us out there to, uh, to meet with the team because, and they're like, you know, bring your wife, make sure she's going to be comfortable with everything. And right. we, we actually connected in Chicago and there was like a, it was a blizzard and they're like, your flight is canceled to Grand Rapids. And it's about normally three hour drive and it's like 10 o'clock at night. So it's like, look, I've got a meeting with them eight in the morning. Yeah. We got to so go we get in yeah. a rental car. We drive through this blizzard along like Michigan, you know, probably get into Grand Rapids at like two or three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And it's just snow everywhere. I, I wake up. I saw, you know, I make it to uh, to the meeting at at, at Borish, and um, I come back, and you know, my wife's just like, you, you "Sure, you, sure, you want to live here?" I mean, it wasn't like the best <laughs> side of Grand Rapids, and I, yeah. you know, if you've, um, I remember saying to her, like, if you've watched Game of Thrones, I said, "Just look, this is a great opportunity. We'll we'll be like the Starks, kind of, uh, you know, Lords of the North here for a few years, and we'll see how <laughs> yeah. it goes." But yeah. Um, it was awesome. We, we loved Grand Rapids. We lived right downtown. Western Michigan, I think, is a really uh, best-kept secret. Be- the lakeshore and the beaches there and the people and um, the team I worked with at Borish was just uh, was just so exceptional. I loved it. Yeah, and still are. How different was what Borish did from what you had previously done at Smith's? I mean, fundamentally, it's electronics manufacturing. So you, you understand the basics. I think what really jumped out at me was how to say like the culture of Amphenol and kind of like the no BS way of running the business. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, for people listening, like every month you have a, an operations review with, um, with the group general manager, your boss, my boss. And so I come in and I, and I'm, you know, I've done a million PowerPoint presentations and had to give, you know, again, pitches to in pretty high profile situation. So you think you're really prepared. I make this very elegant PowerPoint presentation and I go and, and meet with Gary Anderson and I'm ready to get just launch into my spiel. And for those who know Gary, he's, he's not going to let you control the meeting. And it's just like, he's like, yeah, Bill, um, that's real nice. Can you go to, uh, I'm looking at your P and L and your burden incurred line. I mean, he's just like, <laughs> diving into the minutia right of the PL. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, this is this is a guy that's responsible for, you know, all these different businesses. I mean, he's reporting to the CEO and he, like he's that into the detail of what your company is doing. Yeah. And um it's from and that's that's not just Gary. I mean that's Luke. Uh, that is that is a trait of 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 the group general managers here within Amphenol. And it's I was I was blown away and I just realized like how much fluff was like actually in my presentation. And <laughs> I, I was, I was disabused yeah. of that pretty early on, you know, just cut, cut through the fat and just get to the meat of the discussion. How's your business? Absolutely. Doing? Yeah. 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 Like let's have, let's just sit around the table. No, no PowerPoint on a screen printouts of, 
and like, let's just have a conversation about what your business is doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, that, you know, I, I equate these operations reviews, like, you know, it's like going to church every Sunday, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, just kind of, okay, straightens you out. It, it, you know, it's, um, yeah. very educational and that, that, that whole ops review process has been immensely educational in my development as a GM. And then you move to a, a few years later to where you are now, Times Microwave Systems in, in Wallingford, Connecticut. And uh, how has that transition been? I mean, again, it's it's a definitely a different uh, type of product that they make there and type of technology, but all within the same scope of electronics manufacturing, uh, but a totally different business. And how has that been for you? It, it definitely was a, a different business, as you say, and it was quite the transition. So um, firstly, it was it was nice on a personal level to be able to come back to New England. Being from oh, Mass, true. we yeah. had done we had done our tour of duty now in the Midwest. And while we, we had actually expected to be there indefinitely, um, this was an amazing opportunity on the personal side to come back. And just, I mean, a quick, a quick tangent on that before I get to your question. You, you have to put yourself in my shoes, right? So it's my wife and I. We're, we're living on our own in the Midwest, away from friends and family. You know, my, my parents are probably thinking, you know, we'll never see these guys again. We, we didn't have any kids at this point, like mm -hmm. giving up all hope for grandkids mm -hmm. or anything else. And so I learned my wife was pregnant with our first child. And then like a month later, I got offered the job for TMS. So wow. it's like I, I call my mother and have the conversation to give, break the good news about, you know, she's going to be a grandmother. And then by the way, we're moving back less, you know, about an hour away from where you guys live. So that was, um, that yeah, must've been some day or some was, call. Yeah. It was a big, yeah, it was a big, and then a big yeah. change for, for all of us. So, yeah. you know, the difference between the businesses is, um, you know, times is a much larger business. Um, you know, many, many sites now, even, even globally, the difference is like much more, there's more design work that happens, uh, with times and its products and more innovation, where, you know, Borish was, there is design work, but more and more contract manufacturing built to print. But what we would say is kind of contract manufacturer plus. Like mm -hmm. Borish would work with the customers, kind of help them along with it from the design side. But, you know, from at times it's more more pure innovation is happening there. The the makeup of the teams was vastly different. Mm. So uh, at, at Borish, I, I started there as general manager. I, I was 37 when I started and I was like almost... I was the second oldest person on the executive team. I remember. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, so my, you know, Ben Kowalski was my controller. I, he was still in his twenties. Yeah. Um, so I felt like an old man there in my thirties and then coming to times, most of the executive leadership team was uh, well, mm -hmm. well into their sixties. Mm -hmm. And that is a vastly different dynamic. So, um, you know, managing that um, succession planning that was needed and how we were going to preserve all the ingredients that made Times Microwave the fantastic company that it is was was my mission right away. Yeah. And I'd say has been my mission since. And you you touched on it just a minute ago. It has definitely grown and expanded uh, just in your short period of time there, and really uh, not only just from a, a, a dollars and cents perspective, but just the number of locations you have around the world. Just talk a little bit about what it was like to oversee that expansion into Mesa, um, you know, more into, uh, into Shanghai, uh, and other locations around the world and, and, and expanding the, the TMS uh, scope. 
you know, as I said, I, I came here, I, I knew it was a successful business and it was to try to first, I guess, again, identify, keep what made this company great was yeah. first. But what, what became evident to me was there was all of this potential energy that I, I, I felt was my job to unlock with this business. Mm -hmm. And it, it, you just alluded to some of it. So we knew the people that we had in this company, our strength was the technical chops of the people that we have working on the front end with the customers and also inside the building. Mm -hmm. And that is what's made this company successful. But where we felt like we needed to improve is, you know, improving our, our operational excellence, kind of really bringing our operations into the 21st century, bolstering the bench strength that I mentioned, you know, maybe shoring up some of the other support functions that, yeah. that were needed and not, not relying on just these, like th these few people that are just off the charts, you know, awesome in what they do, but that, that it's just not, we just knew it was not a sustainable model. So, sure. yeah. So what we did is, um, I'll talk through them in brief. In, in Mesa, Arizona, we had uh, an engineering center out there that was really built around initially guys like Dave Murray and Mike Ellis, uh, who are, are just been amazing for this business. And we started to manufacture out there. And then, you know, we, we hired on some really great people and we saw an opportunity to just vastly expand our footprint to help us grow our business in the West uh, United States. And, so we, we did a, an expansion to a 65,000 square foot facility and it is, um, I, I would argue one of the, uh, the best operations in, in the military and aerospace group here in Amphenol. Uh, it really is a showcase and we've been able to capture business in Arizona, in Southern California that I don't, I don't know if we necessarily would have otherwise, you know, there is something to be said for customers to be able to come in, meet with the team in person, right. see their product being built, develop a confidence. And, you know, certain customers in particular are very high touch, you know, very difficult to manage, very demanding expectations. And I, I, I think the link between say Connecticut and some of them out in the West, I, I just don't, I don't know if it would have worked out the same way. No. Uh, we doubled the size of our facility in Florida mm -hmm. and it's oh, been a, right, a similar right. play there. Yeah. We've started a, 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 an operation in Nogales we just opened our uh, facility in India, wow. and we are now producing uh, cable in Estonia. Just, I mean, to comment on that, that is, that's another example of the power, power of Amphenol is we didn't have to greenfield these on our own. Right. There are other Amphenol businesses like Robert John in India and right. Chris Miller is overseeing the Estonia operation. We collaborated with them and were able to kind of jumpstart things right away. Um, and that's just been all through relationships with, with other Amphenol GMs. It's a great story and it's amazing, you know, watching myself from as an outside observer, but certainly understanding what's going on at Times Microwave Systems to see how much it's expanded just in the last three or four years. It's been unbelievable. And you, know, you talk about Mesa, um, you know, I've been there as well. And, and you guys kind of spearheading this, this effort out West. And now if you go out there, not only do you guys have an incredible facility, but you have, we have what, four other Amphenol divisions within the military and aerospace group who basically own a whole block in Mesa, Arizona now, yeah. thanks to, you know, what you guys did to, to kind of establish a foothold in that area. It's, it's been amazing. No, and it's been great. And it's, as you say, I, I think it's, it's paved the way for other businesses to more easily establish themselves there. Right. And, right. and now that they are there, the, 
the cross pollination and the the collaboration that happens is 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 just awesome. I mean, you know, you think about if you if a customer comes and visits one of the businesses and then say, well, okay, just next door is uh, AAO or, right. or you, SV you need microwave a circuit or, board assembly yeah, yeah. APC or SV microwave, and so it's um, now it's 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 great. I'm I'm very proud of the team out there and uh, and and what that's evolved into. You probably haven't gotten out there in a while. Probably miss it, huh? Well, yeah, maybe not exactly. this time spent, of year, though. Maybe not this time of year. <laughs> you know, I, Chris, if, if if we were in a in a world right now where we could travel, I I, I would I would take the hundred and ten degree heat. But um, no, I, I I spent quite a bit of time out there last year. It's it's almost like that was my second home, and and then I haven't been there since our sales meeting in January. Yeah, and uh, a lot's changed since then, as as we all know. Yeah, yeah, that is for sure. What? I can't, something happened. I can't remember what it was, but <laughs> just real quick. Like, can we go a whole podcast without mentioning it? Yeah, that would be, I, I, I know. I'd be remiss if I didn't at least ask how it's been going for uh, you at the various facilities. You know, all things considered, uh, I, I'm just so proud of how the team has managed this. Um, you know, it, it started with our Shanghai operation mm-hmm. um, and, and Washington Wu is our general manager there who works for me. and the way they, you know, we did have to shut down for several weeks, but the amount of work they had to go through to get the facility ready to be reopened and then get back into full tilt production. It, it, it's just a testament to that team. Um, they're just unbelievable. And uh, Washington is a tremendous leader there. But what that allowed us to do was re- a, a lot of lessons learned already mm-hmm. and kind of primed the pump for when it did outbreak here in the U S um, we were ready to roll with with those same initiatives, and um, you know, Corinne McDonald is our EHS manager here, um, and our team. You know, we're look, we're doing probably what everyone's doing at this point. You know, uh, adapting and always challenging. What other measures can we put in place? But um, you know, thankfully, we've had no disruption in our operations. We have had uh, very few positive cases, and I, I'd say. The measures we put in place in terms of like mask usage very early on, mm-hmm. um, the isolation measures, I, I, I'm not going to recap everything I think everyone's aware of, but that that's really minimized any impact that we've had to our operations. So we, we've been able to continue to service our customers throughout this, this pandemic and keep our people safe, more importantly. That's great because um, I know it's just been... You know, there's no precedent for it. So for you and your fellow GMs and and all the the group general managers and everyone, it's just been a learning experience. But I would say all in all, it's gone pretty well, all things considered. So, um, you know, kudos to you and everyone else there at uh, at Times Microwave. So we'll we'll wrap this up here since we've been we're going for almost a half hour. Um, you know, I figured you and I know each other a little bit. And I figured right, let me start something new with these just because, you know, I need a segment and maybe I listen to too many podcasts. Um, and since I like them so much, I thought, all right, let's just do, let's go with the standard favorite album, favorite movie, favorite book. Oh, geez. What are some of them <laughs> off the top of your head? So people get to know a little bit more about Bill Callahan than just that he went to, you know, RPI and, you know, did an engineering degree and then lived out West in the Midwest. Right, right. So if you could well, think you, of a you couple, do know me well, Chris. I, I to, do to, to bring this into the conversation, and it's um, that is not it's not an easy answer. So let me let me let me let me try to uh, 
let, let, let's try to break it down. So it's favorite album. Yeah. If you favorite. Do, f- yeah. And, and if you have a couple, that's fine. Okay. I'll start. I'll start with maybe the easiest. So we'll, we'll focus on the music. So okay. I, I mean, qualifier, I, I, I mean, my musical tastes are, are the full spectrum from, yeah. um, you know, classical <laughs> to, uh, you know, uh, Miles Davis and, you know, you know jazz to, um, you know, I, I went and saw Guns N' Roses a couple of years ago, yeah. right? But I, I would say the, um, the the band and the artists that have kind of persisted is is definitely the Smiths and, and Morrissey, who is the lead singer of the Smiths as a solo artist. So I, yeah. I, I'd have to go with the Smiths. And if, if you ask me to pick an album by the Smiths, I, I would have to go with The Queen Is Dead. Okay. Um, is my favorite. I, yeah, I, I already love this segment. I, I'm definitely doing this with everyone from now on. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to be your guinea pig here. Yeah. <laughs> so the Smiths, Queen is Dead, uh, 84, 85, 80, yeah, something like I, that. Say, that's, yeah, a little bit later, 85, okay. I would guess, 85, okay. 86, if I, yeah, I have to guess. How about movie? So, and, I'll, and I'll just say, you know, 80s alternative. I mean, oh, and, yeah, yeah. You know, The Cure, The Cure, oh, you know, New Order, The Stone Roses, yeah, yeah. all that. So, movie. Yeah, this is one where I could list a million movies. I, I love movies. But if I had to pick one, like maybe the criteria is like if I'm flipping through the channels and this is on on yep. some station, I'm, I'm stopping and I'm watching it. Yep. Um, or if you're on a desert island by yourself and they give oh. you one movie that you're allowed to watch as much as you want. Yeah, I, I would I would actually have to go with Reservoir Dogs, Quentin Tarantino. Interesting. Okay. I, I th- yeah, I think, you know, I, I really, I know everyone likes Pulp Fiction and I think it's a great movie, but I, I think Reservoir Dogs is his best. And I think the um, the writing, the characters, the actors are unbelievable. And I, I it's just, it's very stripped down in terms of the production and, and the story. Raw. It's yeah. And raw. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 yeah. I love, I love it. it. Yeah. I love that too. Last one is book. Like if you could pick one book, you know, this is another one. I, so I'll just say, you know, general category, I tend to gravitate towards more like novels and especially yeah. more classic novels. I, I feel like, you know, nonfiction, like a lot of business books, I feel like they get a little repetitive with their themes. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be like the, the business GM that picks like, uh, who moved Whatever. my cheese? Seven. Yeah, no, I'm not gonna go there. Um, <laughs> all right, I'll, let me let me try to list a couple that like Rorschach tests come to my head, and then I'll try to zero in on it here. Yeah. So I, I, you know, I'd say Dune is is one. Okay. Even though even though I'm not like a big sci-fi guy, I think that you know the the imagination and and I'd say the relevance to today that that like a lot of the themes mm. in that book, yeah. I, I put Dune up there. Um. Yeah, I'd have to put For Whom the Bell Tolls. I mean, Hemingway is one of my favorite, and I think yep. that's his best book. And then maybe, I, I tell you, one I always go back to, too, for some reason, The, the Mayor of Casterbridge by Thomas Hardy is one of my favorite books. So How old maybe, school. Yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a very, a very flawed character, main character in that book, and yeah. you just, man, you just, yeah. Riveted, huh? Empathize, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that maybe that gives you a flavor. Maybe I've already I've revealed too much here about my my psychology. No, I like it as long as you're okay with this going public. <laughs> a pot committed now, Chris. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I guess so. Yeah. yeah, I got you on record now. But well, listen, yeah. Bill, I I really do appreciate you taking the time to do this today. You know, we probably should have done this a long time ago, but I'm glad we got the opportunity to today and. 
Uh, best of luck to you and the team at TMS for your continued success and, and expansion to you know slowly take over the globe. All right, Chris. Thanks very much. I've, uh, I've always admired this from afar and excited to finally be invited on the podcast. Thanks very much. Thank you.